0: Some great truths, great promises, great words of of mission in that video this morning. And it leads us into our text today in Acts 11, verse 19 through 20. And as we look at this text today, I want us to think about the church. And as we think about her this morning and different characteristics of the church, if, if you were just to give like one word, little characteristics to describe, adjectives to describe the church who she is and, and what she does. I want you this morning just to kind of let that kind of swim through your head and kind of uh, dance in your mind this morning about the church, some just one-word things. Some of you guys might think of serve, you might think of love, you might think of grace, you might think of many different things. Uh, she's the bride, you name it. But, but the one word I, I want you to land on this morning, I want you to, to go home today and, and really have this sunk in deep, is simply this word Sent. S-E-N-T, that the the church is sent, we're sent. You saw it in the video, you you look at the the New Testament and and you see that the church is sent. Jesus praises to the Father in John 17, verse 18. He says, Father, as you have sent me into the world, so have I sent them into the world. He's speaking specifically on behalf of the disciples that are with him. And he says that before he goes to the cross. And and Jesus came to this world on a mission. It is a vertical mission. Is in his incarnation, he came from heaven to earth to, to bring the, the fullness of God, the manifestation of God, to, to show who God is on this planet. And he walked in human flesh, and he went to a cross and he died. And he rose again. He ascended to the heavens where he has complete authority. And today, he is telling the church, you have a horizontal mission. It's just like my vertical mission. And I want you to go and and I want you to show the grace of God to the world. To every nook and cranny of this universe, I want you to put me, Jesus, on display. And so the church is sent. Look at the apostles. The apostles, literally, that term means they're the sent ones. And so we're to imitate Jesus, how he came. We're to look at the lives of the apostles and their sent lives. And we're to say, that's what we're to be like. We are sent. And so this morning in this text, I've got three simple points that I want us to see. The first one is this. Simply, we're sent. We're going to see how in just a second and why we're sent and where we're sent to. And then secondly, we're going to see a life of one who was sent, and we can look and imitate his life and say, that's what I'm to be like, to live like. It's going to look different with different giftings and and different personalities, but there's a guy I want to remember and I want to imitate as we look at Barnabas. And then thirdly and lastly, we're going to look at this idea of continuing to be sent. Not just that I'm sent and, and I'm going to have a taste of it here in my life and that's it, but it's a continuation. It's, it's to the end. It's, it's looking at retirement and saying, hey, listen, uh, it, retirement's not coast time. It's not just maintenance time. It's sent time. And what does that look like even in retirement and so on? But my life from the beginning to the end, I am sent. I am sent. And that's going to look different in this crowd today. It looks different. As I look at your lives, and I know some of you guys, and I've seen the grace of God working, and so it looks different. But the question is, are we living a sent life? So let's look at the text this morning because it, it jumps out at us. Look at verse 19 through 20. Look what's happening here. It's pretty cool. It says, So then those who were scattered because of the persecution that occurred in connection with Stephen made their way to Phoenicia, made their way to Cyprus, to Antioch, speaking the word to no one except to Jews alone. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And so as a result of Stephen's that we saw back in Acts chapter seven, you have this persecution, this great persecution that has risen up in Jerusalem and what has happened, we've seen it, we've seen it with Philip going to Samaria. Christians, disciples of Jesus Christ are now scattered throughout the region to Judea, Samaria, to the remote parts of the earth. And part of that region is what we call the Mediterranean coastland. And that includes Cyprus. It includes Phoenicia. It includes Antioch. And so you have these disciples that are now there and they are declaring, they're spreading the name of Jesus Christ. There are some specifically to Jews from synagogue to synagogue. But now also, as we saw last week, with Peter and with Cornelius, We also see the gospel now penetrating and impeding into the lives of who? Gentiles, to Greeks. And so that's happening here. And so here's my question. As we look at these guys, who are these guys? They're the no-namers, right? We talked about that a few weeks ago. I love the no-namers. They don't need to be on stage, right? they they don't need to 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 have a, a business card they they don't need to have their name up in lights they, they they don't need anything like that they they don't need a web page they they don't need a facebook page they don't need anything like that what they need is simply to go tell and to honor the lord faithfully and these guys have no names they're guys that have been displaced. They're women who have been displaced. They have a new home. They have a new place where they're doing work. They're doing life, raising kids, building a family. It's a new place they've been scattered to. They don't know, but there's one thing they do know. They've been sent. They've been sent. They didn't have a special commissioning service. <laughs> Nothing like that, but they just know their Savior's Jesus. Jesus had a mission, and the mission was wherever you're at you participate in the mission of Jesus Christ, and that's spreading the gospel. And that's what they did. That's what they did right where they were to people who had never heard of the gospel before, what we would call unreached areas, unreached people Groups. And this is still the call of the church today. Jesus said it many years ago, Matthew 28, 19 through 20. He said, go, therefore, to the nations, ethne, ethnic groups, to different people groups throughout the world. I want you to go make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And I want you to teach them everything that Jesus commanded. And so I'll tell you the promise in just a second. But he tells us to go and do that. You think about the different ethnic groups in our world today that are unreached. And the latest stats from the Joshua Project is this, that there are 16,510 people groups in the world. People groups are defined by, by language, by, by culture, the region that they're in. And, and for example, I was in a place back in, oh, 2001. It was a place called Chiquion, Peru. It's about 2,000 people up in the uh, Whitewashed Mountains, about 9,000 feet up. These people have their own tribal language. Even within this little area, there was multiple languages. But these guys were definitely, the Chikion people, their own little people group. And there's 16,000 of those, 510 across the world today. And of those, 6,672 are unreached, meaning there is no presence of the gospel within their group. That's over 40% of the world today. Population-wise, you think of our world, 7.29 billion. That means 3.09 billion have never heard of the gospel, do not have the presence of the gospel where they're living. And break it down a little bit more, 2,500 people groups, totaling about 200 million people have neither the scripture in their language, the Jesus film in their language, or any kind of Christian recording about who God is in their language whatsoever. Amazing to me, amazing to me. You think about India. I went to India back in, in, in 2012. David Byrd and I went and experienced some, some great Christian community, saw many villages, went to seminaries, went to four different states while we were there, and saw God working. But, but it, it saddened me this week, because I was reading oh, oh, almost 500,000, half a million villages have no Christian presence whatsoever in India, whatsoever. I'm encouraged as I, I look out here this morning, and, and I think about these numbers, and I, and I think about some of you in here. I, I know there's some in here that have served in China, you've given time of your life in China. I know there's some in here this morning, you've given your life to Kenya. And in fact, I love the story of, of a couple that I just got to talk to, Danny and, and Chris Lee. They, they got to serve in, in the language that, that they um, shared the gospel in. I, you know, you, we think of this, it's so unique. Uh, we don't think of this, is sign language. Oh man, how cool was that? With, with Wycliffe Bible translators, they, they served in Kenya, sign language. By many, they're considered cursed across the world. They're considered the outcasts, the outsiders. Think of Natalie over here to my left who, who just got from Serbia, encouraging our missionaries there and serving there. And I, and I love the heartbeat. You care, your concern about the unreached. But man, the, the numbers tell us it, there's still a mission out there. There's still places like Cyprus. There's still places like Phoenicia. There's still places like Antioch. And some of the places are hard. They are hard. In fact, the most uh, biggest numbers of unreached people uh, today is is in the continent of Asia. Many of those Arab places where we look at and we think, and and what causes sometimes to rise up in us is fear because it's a hard place. We, We know the suffering. We know what the cost may be. Because you would imagine these guys, as they're scattered, they're, they're threatened. And they're in a Roman-ruled territory still, places like Antioch, Phoenician, Cyprus, definitely. And the struggle and the suffering they could, they could face. They know what it was like. And still today, there's hard places that God wants people to go. He wants people to go and, and to serve and, and to share the gospel. It's interesting today, even here in the United States, we have many unreached people groups that are, that are here, that are, that are presently here, that have never heard of the message of Jesus Christ. And so what does God want us to do? Just like these guys did back in Antioch and Cyprus and Phoenicia, somebody must cross the cultural barriers. Someone must cross the language barriers that separate us from the unreached so that we can share the gospel with them. We must be willing to, to pray, excuse me, to pay the price. Just like these guys did. To participate horizontally in the sending mess, mission of Jesus Christ. Now look what happens. Look at verse 21 real quick in chapter 11. Something amazing happens here. It says that the hand of the Lord was with them and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. And so the idea the hand of the Lord was with them, that's an Old Testament term that we see that refers to the power of God. The power of God was with their witness. And isn't that what Jesus promises us in Matthew 28, 19 through 20? He says, and lo, I will be with you. As you go, lo, I will be with you until the end of the age. Promise to you and I as we participate in the mission, in the sending mission of Jesus Christ, guess what? The presence of God is promised to be with us without a doubt. You take it to the bank. No question about it. He will be with our witness as we hold up Jesus, no doubt. And he was with them. And as a result, what happened? They believed and they turned to Jesus Christ So what does that mean? They were saved, right? That's what salvation looks like. Those who believe in Christ and his death and his resurrection, and they turned, they repented, and they followed Christ, and they're saved. And so what do we see right here? You and I are called to be sent, just like these. In everyday life, it may be to the workplace tomorrow morning, you're sent. You're sent, that's your mission field. It may be the neighborhood, you're sent. When you go home this morning, it's your mission field. Maybe the place you work out at. Some of you guys spend a lot of time there. That's, that's your mission field. Your home, it's your mission field. You are sent. But some of us, God is going to stir. And he's going to send us. He's going to send us to different places. Maybe it's different places in the United States. Maybe it's different places in this state. Maybe it's different places in the world. And God wants to stir your hearts. And he wants to take you to tap into the unreached people of the world. Because there are many. Yes, there are a few, but the harvest is great, it's plentiful, and God is calling people still today. And so we are sent. Well, what does this sent life look like? Look at this in verse 22. The news about them, what's happening in this region, it reached Jerusalem, the ears of the church there, and they sent Barnabas off to Antioch. And so news spread It spreads throughout that the Mediterranean coastland are being reached for the gospel. And Jerusalem hears about this, and they decide to send a representative to go on the scene to observe and to evaluate what was happening. And so they send the right guy. They send this excellent man by the name of Barnabas. Barnabas is from Cyprus. He knows that area. Not only that, he was this positive, encouraging guy. He was full of the Holy Spirit, faith, and goodness. Sometimes God will send us to places where there's no presence of the gospel. But sometimes he sends us to places that are new works. They're fresh, beginning places where the church maybe has just been birthed. And that's what he does here with Barnabas is he sends, the church does, sends him to Antioch. He sends him to a place where the gospel work has already begun, but, but somebody needs to go on the scene and to observe to make sure that what's being taught is right, to observe that make what's being said about Jesus is right, and to come in and encourage and teach and disciple, and that's what Barnabas will do. In fact, look at verse 23. As he arrives on the scene, listen to what he observes. It says, Then when he arrived and witnessed the grace of God, he rejoiced. He began to encourage them all with resolute heart to remain true to the Lord, for he was a good man and full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and considerable numbers were brought to the Lord. Who was Barnabas? He was a witness. He was a workman for God. As we look at him and his life, his influence over this new church, I pray today that you and I would be encouraged to look at his life and say, hey listen, I wanna model my life after him. He was a man full of fruit, Holy Spirit fruit for God. And so I have a question this morning. What made this man good? What made Luke, the writer of Acts, say he's a good man? Sometimes in our conversations throughout the day, when people talk about other people, or maybe when we do, we say, you know what, they're a good man, or, or they're a good woman, they're, they're a good person, or whatever. Biblically, how would we define someone good, right? Paul says in Romans 3, none of us are good, right? But 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 what would we say defines Barnabas as a good man? This, the text answers it for us, and so I want us to see this this morning real simply, It says, he's a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. You see, the root of his goodness is found in the statement that he was full of the Holy Spirit. He was full of faith. In fact, the Apostle Paul picked up on this idea, the connection of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and eventually what produces what we would call a good man or a good woman. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 2 through 5, listen to what Paul says. We'll read verse 2 and also verse 5. He's asked this question. This is the only thing I want to find out from you, he says. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? And so the answer, the implied answer is, well, you receive the Holy Spirit by faith alone, right? Not by works And then in verse five, listen to what he says. So then, does he who provides you with the Spirit and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? And so it's the idea that those who have the Spirit, who continue to walk with the Spirit and and do um, work for the Lord, do they do it by works or do they do it by faith? Well, Paul says they continue to live and be strengthened by the Spirit through faith alone. And so the answer here is where, where do you and I get such fruit like Barnabas has? It comes from the Spirit of God alone, and it comes through faith alone. In fact, Paul will go on in Galatians chapter 5, and he'll talk about the fruit of the Spirit, and he will say that the fruit of the Spirit is of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, right? That's Barnabas' goodness. And so where does this fruit come from? It comes from a life full of the Holy Spirit, full of faith, and goodness overflowed from his life. God longs for his church as he sends them out to be full of the Spirit, to be full of faith, to be full of the fruit of the Spirit. And how is that demonstrated in this text? We see it loud and clear. We we see it through Barnabas' life. The first thing we see as we look at this text this morning is in verse uh, 22. It says, the church sent Barnabas off to Antioch. Then when he arrived, I, I, I love that part there because what it is is here's the church under the direction of God here in Jerusalem. They recognize there is a need now in Antioch. For someone to go to observe the work, to teach and encourage the new Christians there. To help start this this new church. And so what do they do? They, They send Barnabas. And what I love about Barnabas is he is yielded to the direction of God. He's yielded to the direction of God. God, through the church leaders, says go. And guess what, Barnabas, he goes. He goes. He's available to living out the great commission. And so he sent. The second thing we see about Barnabas is, is this as well. In his life, we see his goodness demonstrated toward others. It isn't just that this, he, he's just a good guy, right? No, he was good toward other people. And how do we see this? Remember a couple of weeks ago, back in Acts chapter 9? You remember Saul? When Saul arrives on the scene with the other disciples there in Jerusalem, did they throw a welcoming party? No, right? No, they, they didn't throw a parade or anything for Saul when he came to town. The disciples didn't want to have anything to do with him. They know his past. And so who steps in to intervene? Who steps in to encourage this outsider? Who steps in to encourage this, this underdog and to say, hey, listen, this guy has giftings. This guy's the real deal. God has radically changed him. And, and he vouches for him. Who is that? It's Barnabas, remember? Barnabas steps in. He doesn't have to. But led by the Spirit of God, he stands up for Saul. He speaks well of him. And and have you ever thought about that? If there's no Barnabas, right, what happens to Saul? Barnabas was so huge. His name is the the son of encouragement. Jews would do that. They would say, uh, based on what they saw in you, characteristics, they would call you son of this or daughter of this. And so with Barnabas, they would say he was the son of encouragement. You see, Barnabas was one who had great wonder over being accepted by God. And so as a result, what did he do? He accepted others. He showed goodness toward others because he knew how God loved him. And so he was good toward others. Thirdly, we see that Barnabas lived out the grace of God. He lived out the grace of God, and he saw the grace of God, as he witnessed it in Antioch. In chapter 23, or verse 23, it says, "He arrived. He witnessed the grace of God. He saw it. He saw it in this young church. Now, think about that. Here's this new church, people figuring out what's, what's this gospel life look like. I'm sure it was messy. I'm sure it was imperfect as they were kicking around the tires, trying to to figure out how is their life supposed to look like now. And in this, he saw God at work, changing lives, changing lives. And so he saw the grace of God at work in Antioch. Fourth one, we see the fruit of goodness in his rejoicing over the grace of God. That's what it says next in verse 23. It says he witnessed the grace of God and he rejoiced. Why was he rejoicing? Because lives were being changed. God was changing the territory. God was changing the city. God was changing individuals' lives. And those full of the Holy Spirit, full of faith, they love to see others' lives change. And when they do, they rejoice in it. They're excited about it. They get jazzed over God doing a miraculous work in changing the lives of others. And Barnabas, no doubt, he rejoiced. And then, fifthly, we see with Barnabas, he encourages them in verse 24. It says that he rejoiced and he began to encourage them all with resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. And so, one who's full of the Spirit, one who's full of faith, one who, like Barnabas, has the goodness, the, the fruit of the spirit of goodness, is eager to see people stick with it, persevere. This idea of a resolute heart is that he taught them, he encouraged them to remain faithful, to remain faithful. It reminds me this week, I, I sat down with a, a guy who I, I've known for a while, and um, just under three years ago, his, his wife left him. And it's, it's been challenging. It's been real challenging. And, and one of the things that, that we keep talking about is, he, he listens, stick with it. Stick with it. Don't throw in the towel. Don't throw in the towel. Remain faithful. Remain faithful. And what was encouraging this time when I met with him is, I didn't have to say any of that. I didn't have to say any of that. He's he saying it. I'm going to stick with it. And I know it seems hopeless, but I'm going to stick with it. Stick with it. As I read this text this week, I thought, man, that's, that's the kind of spirit that the Barnabas was, was teaching the church. Just say, listen, stick with it. Why would he be te- teaching a young church like that? This, this idea of perseverance. Because that's what the Christian life is about. The Christian life is about persevering. And it's As we learn in, in Revelation, it's, it's to overcome. We're overcomers. We're not those who, who give in to the culture. We're not those who give in to, to society. We're not, we're not those who, who are in the world and are of it. No, we are people who persevere. We overcome. We're in the world, but we're not of it. And so that, what does that mean? We've got to stick with it. We've got to stick with it. These young believers, can you imagine that? I mean, you're excited when you come to new faith, right? You get your jazz, but, but then all of a sudden, that, that first uh, crook in the road, that, that first little mistake or the, or the, the on-flight of, of these darts from the enemy and the temptation that comes your way or the, the, the first little tragedy that comes up as you're new to your faith, and what it could it do? It could knock you off the road, man. And so Barnabas is there to say, hey, stick with it. Stick with it. Hold on, hold tight to the hope you have in Christ. Hold tight, fixed with your eyes on Jesus Christ. Persevere, do not give up. Sometimes we want to put aside the armor of faith and when Barnabas is coming in and saying, hey, listen, there's no time to put aside the armor of faith. You fight the good fight of faith. Where do you think Saul might have got that idea from? I'm just thinking maybe Barnabas because he's teaching that. He's encouraging that have a resolute heart have a has a faithful heart to the lord keep going keep going and then we see with Barnabas two more things i want you to check out here the next thing we see is he he's going to bring people into the mix he's not just going to do this thing on his own and you see that's the work of the body of christ is hey this idea of being sent it's a together work Sure, there's those times where we're witnessing uh, as individuals to people, but, but man, it's a together work. We're bringing people alongside of us to help us, and that's what he does next. Look at verse 25. In the middle of this work in Antioch, he leaves, Barnabas does, for Tarsus. And what's he doing? He's looking for Saul, So Saul kind of comes back on the scene here. And look what happens in verse 26. When he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for an entire year, they met with the church and taught considerable numbers. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. So Barnabas goes and he brings Saul. Barnabas is clever. And tuned with the Spirit. Because who know better than Saul to bring to a young church? And with his testimony, with his past, to come in and speak of the grace of God, then Saul. And so for an entire year, they teach crowds of Christians. They disciple them. And for the first time, believers and disciples of Jesus Christ are called Christians. They're in Antioch. What does that mean? It means little Christ, little Christ. That our life is to imitate Jesus Christ. So Barnabas brings Saul with him. And then lastly, I want you to see this. Look at verse 27 through 30. This church, man, they're growing considerably in numbers. But not only that, man, they're growing. They're, they're becoming faithful. Uh, the fruit of the encouragement and the teaching through the work of the Holy Spirit in leading Barnabas and Saul, man, it's growing. It's growing. It's exploding. And how do we see that? Look at verse 27. Now at this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, one of them named Agabus. Agabus, interesting interesting one. We we will see his name come up later. He will be uh, part of a prophecy to, to Paul when Paul will... Uh, head to Jerusalem. He will prophesy about the the suffering that Paul will go through. And so this is very much a, a valid prophet of God. He stood up in verse 28, began to indicate by the Spirit that there would certainly be a great famine all over the world, the Roman world. And this took place in the reign of Claudius. And in the proportion that any of the disciples had means in Antioch, each of them determined to send a contribution for the relief of the brethren living in Judea. And this they did, sending it in charge of Barnabas and Saul to the elders. And so what do we see here? Here, Here's this young church. They're growing over at least a year and more. And we see the fruit of generosity. They hear about this famine that's going to come to Jerusalem, the area of Judea, and where fellow Christians and and other people are going to be suffering because of it. And they decide to give to this work, to help for those who will face the suffering and so we see their generosity they come together in love and and unity in the lord and they give but what i want us to see is they trusted barnabas they trust him in sending these contributions with him and saul they trusted him with the money barnabas was a was a guy that was trustworthy As we look at Barnabas, as we think about him, as we think about this sent life that you and I are called to, this is one we can imitate. The Bible tells us to look and to remember, to think of those who've gone before us. In Hebrews 13, 7, it says, remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, consider the result of their conduct, and imitate their faith. We're to look at Barnabas this morning. We're to imitate his faith as one who lived a sent life. But what I love about this, it didn't just end here with Barnabas. It wasn't just, you know, kicking back in Antioch. That would have been great, years of ministry. But God had something else. And what we see with Barnabas, he was always open to what God had. And I want you to do this. Turn over just one chapter, and I'm just going to read a couple verses, and we're going to wrap up. But I want you to see this as we close this morning. It's this idea of being sent. It's a continuation. It's a life. It's not just a season. It's not just you know short-term mission trips, even though that's part of it, and I'm all down with that. I'm cool with that, and God's cool with that. But but it's it's life, and how do we see that? Look at chapter thirteen, verse one and two. It says here now they they were at Antioch in the church, the following prophets and teachers. And so what's cool about this is Antioch is growing up. They've got leaders, they've got teachers. And then it says there were the following. Barnabas was there, Simeon, who was called Niger, cool name, Lucius the Cyrene, uh, Manian, who had been brought up with Herod, the Tetrarch, and then also Saul. And so now you have back in Antioch. Uh, Saul and Barnabas, they've gone. They've dropped off the money. Now they're back in Antioch. And then it says in verse 2, while they were ministering to the Lord, um, I'm not going to touch that this week. Matt McKinney's going to touch that in a few weeks, what that means. And fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. I love this. And we're going to dive into this more in the coming weeks, but, but I love that right there. Because here's Barnabas and Saul, they're back in Antioch. And here's the message to the church. That the church is not about maintaining. The church is not about maintaining. But the church is always about the mission. They're always on mission. The church isn't about just always holding things together. The church isn't about making sure people don't leave. What is the church about? The church is about mission. It's always about mission. And that's what we see here. It never stops. Here's Antioch. They go from from the small little church, these new believers, they're growing up, they're becoming generous, and then we're sending you out. Why? Because that's what we do. That's what we do. It doesn't stop. We're not maintaining. Oh, this is great, this is glorious. But no, we're sending out. We're going to let you go. And they send Barnabas, they send Saul. And can you imagine this? Man, they're just open to this big change. I mean, look at Barnabas and Saul, and they're just like, okay, Lord, whatever. We'll kind of have big the change is. And here's how big it is. They go from Antioch, and they're sent out globally to place after place after place after place with threats and prison, suffering, you name it. And they're called out. They're sent out. And God thrust them into global missions to the unreached people of the world. And, and the beat just kept going on. And it kept going on for centuries and centuries and centuries and centuries and centuries. And it just kept going on with people who God kept calling globally to unreached people after another, after another, until we sit here today and we're like, we're a product of that. We're the fruit of that. And guess what? The beat's still going on. It's still going on. And God's still about not maintaining, but about his mission. You see, it's been said many times before. You've heard it. Probably sitting in church. There's three types of people in the church. There's the goer, right? There's the goer, man. We're going, we're going. There's senders, and sometimes goers are senders, and sometimes senders are goers. There's the senders. What does that mean? Senders are those who, who man, I'm coming around these people, I'm gonna financially support them. I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to be their prayer support. I'm going to serve them in other means. I'm going to help watch kids, or I'm going to help do this. I'm going to help do that. So these people are active. They're goers. They're senders. And the third are disobedient. Disobedient. And that's just plain and simple as you look at the New Testament. That's where you land. We're either going or we're sending. Now, sending looks different, obviously. We're helping. We're serving people, coming around people. But we're part of the mission. We understand what it means to be sent. And that's what God wants the church to do. He wants us to actively be a part of his sending mission. And I tell you this week, as I was looking on joshuaproject.com, I was just sitting there looking at the unreached people groups, and I just started thinking, man, God, where is our focus? Where where are we focusing on? I I love our focus in Leon. I love it. The people there, they're unreached with the gospel. love that. love that. The focus has been in Serbia. Now the Israel is going to be coming back and, and they're praying about a new work and is that still going to be in Serbia possibly and, and so on. The work in Guadalajara in ministering to inner city kids is a group of them from our church is going to be going in a few weeks and I, and I love that work. But where else? That's some of the questions I've been asking these, where else Lord? Where else here are there unreached people groups and then that aren't tapped into? And, and many of you, you know You know unreached people. You know people at work. You know people in your own family who need to hear the gospel. And so I want you to hear this week. When you leave, I just want you to hear Jesus saying one thing. You're sent. You're sent. Don't maintain this life you have. But be on mission. Be on mission. That's what he wants. That's what he's calling us to. Those who are saved have been sent. That's us. Let's pray.